Welcome to the sermon podcast of Damascus Road Church. For more information about Damascus Road Church, go to damascusroadonline.com. Our current series is Everyday Saints, a study of the book of Ephesians, looking into what we have and who we are in Jesus. Thank you for your word. We thank you that it is inspired by your Holy Spirit, preserved for us so that we can hear from you so that we can know who you are and know who you're making us. And we pray, God, that you would lead us well today. We're your people. We need to be led. And so, God, give us the strength and the wisdom to hear from you, empower us to obey you, help us to do so with joy in the belief that you're good, that you're trustworthy, that you're our Savior, and that we can follow you gladly for your glory and our joy, we pray. Go ahead and have a seat. Um, I wanna, I wanna just start by, by communicating a couple things to you about, about this church. Uh, and there, there's a reason for it. But, um, God's just been incredibly, incredibly faithful to this church. The church was started in 2008. And for a church this young, and it's made up of, of the kind of folks who call this place home, God, uh, has, has led us through some rocky waters. And there have been points at which, uh, we've needed God to show up in a big way, and, and God has repeatedly seen fit to do that. And I gotta be honest with you that I, you know, I've been here since 2011, and God's been faithful to me in, in this whole thing. God has, uh, led me and taught me and hopefully grown me and, and, uh, and, and just been faithful to me. And a handful of the ways that He's done that, I, I wanna, I wanna tell you, you guys, uh, the elders, and I'm not talking about me, I'm talking about the other elders. That would be Pastor Matt, Pastor Kevin, Pastor Josh, and Pastor Dan, um, are just very, very, very good men. And, uh, have been faithful to point me to Jesus, have been faithful to, uh, be wise, be kind, have been faithful to pray for you guys, and to love you guys well, even at times that you didn't know that it was going on. Uh, the deacons here, we have, uh, nine deacons. Our folks who love Damascus Road, who work incredibly hard to serve this body, and who uh, who have been good and gracious and kind and faithful not only got to God but but to me as one of the one of the elders here, just to have been good friends to me and have uh, made this place as much of a home as it can become in almost three years. And then we've got people here who they're not elders and they're not deacons there. They, but they, they serve and they volunteer and they, they do a good job and they put thought into it and they, they do so out of worship. I mean, coffee isn't just, just there, right? <laughs> like somebody puts that out and makes sure that it's hot and people drink it and say, we need better coffee. And so other people come in <laughs> and, and, and do better coffee. I don't know if you've noticed the last three weeks we've had new coffee and, and, uh, I don't cry when I drink it, right? Um, yeah, and, and somebody did that, right? Dwayne did that for us. And, you know, a couple of weeks ago, we, we had the volunteer Oscars. We got 134 people who volunteer at Damascus Road at East and West. And, and, and it was amazing to look around the room and to see the people that God is providing, to see the family that God is creating, and to think, not only am I grateful for these people, but I actually like these people. I like people who go to church. This is crazy to me, right? And, and God has just been really, really good to Damascus Road. And, and we are, we're not a perfect church. We're never going to be a perfect church. If you're looking for a perfect church, uh, this ain't the place. 
uh, and, and I'll let you in on a secret. It doesn't exist, right? And if it did exist, when you went with all love, you know the rest, right? Okay. Um, yeah, we're, we're not a perfect place. We need Jesus. We need a Savior. And God has shown Himself strong on our behalf. And, and I'm, I'm excited about where God has brought us. And I'm, I'm very excited about where I think God's taken us. And I'm thankful for, for our elders, for our deacons, for the people who volunteer. I'm thankful for you. I'm thankful that you're here. I'm thankful that you chose to be here today. And uh, I'm excited for not only what I think God's going to do in general, but for what I think God's going to do today. So Ephesians chapter 4 and 5, Paul's going to lay out for us a vision of the church. He's going to lay out for us at a real grassroots, organic, interrelational level, the kind of church that God is making the church, including this church. And when I read through this list of six things, I get really excited. Because this is exactly the kind of church that I want to be a part of. And here's the thing. It doesn't have anything to do with programs. doesn't have anything to do with auditoriums. doesn't have anything to do with budgets and all of that stuff. It has to do with how we treat one another, how we feel about one another, what our values are. And it has to do with God mutually, here's the phrase, renewing our mind together. Changing the way that we think about Him. Changing the way that we think about one another. Changing the way that we think about our city. Kind of like when we say we want to be gospel-centered community-based and mission-focused, God changes our thinking to make us the kind of church that we want to become and that He wants us to become. And here's the thing about it. You need to understand that when a church installs membership and, and 110 people become members, when you baptize 66 people in two years, that when you see almost 40 people get miraculously saved by God, when you see people building relationships, when you see God doing things, that's nothing short of a miracle. Yeah, I, I don't want us to, I want us to be careful because we can say those things, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. But when somebody, when God saves somebody, it's, it's a resurrection, right? They were dead and now they're alive. When somebody stands up and, and we dunk them in our, in our ghetto baptism tank, right? <laughs> that's a miracle. Whenever people say, yes, I want to be a part of this community, that's a miracle. When we open up God's word and he speaks to us, that's a miracle. And so the church that God wants us to be is a miraculous church where God is doing miraculous things, some of them uncommon, but a lot of them common to Scripture, right? And I want to make sure that we always notice those things, that we're always grateful for those things, that we're always saying, yes, God's at work among us, and God's doing things among us, and we want more of it. And God, we open ourselves up to whatever you have for us, and that includes changing the way that we think, changing the way we relate, changing how we view our time, our money, our friendships, so that we can see you do something fantastic here on the east side of Madison, Wisconsin. So I think that the church that's going to get laid out for us here today, if you read down through it, you can make the mistake of reading it as a list of rules. That's not what Paul's trying to do. Paul's trying to paint a picture for us of a church that, that operates in the mindset and the transformation of the gospel. And so six examples today of a gospel-produced, renewed mind. What could this place look like if we receive the gospel, if we live in the gospel, if we show the gospel, what would this place look like at the most tangible, gut, organic level? Uh, what could God do? Three things that I want you to no notice about this list. The first thing is this. That all of them 
are based in some kind of theology. And we always talk about theology, and I think that people's knee-jerk reaction to theology is that it's something that's not very practical. They think of it as something that people go to college for, and that people come back and they become professional Christians, and they stand up and they talk about theology on Sunday, and sometimes I understand and sometimes I don't. Theology is the most practical thing that could possibly exist. It's the basis of the Christian life. What I believe about God, God says, is going to show up in how I behave. My beliefs and my behavior are hand in glove. They are the same thing. And it means that if I don't, if I look at my behavior and I don't see godly belief, the reason that I'm behaving that way is because I do or don't believe who God says that He is. I think there's some misunderstandings about hypocrisy. If I were to say, what do you think hypocrisy is? I think that we would say it's, it's not doing what you preach, not practicing what you preach. It's actually not what hypocrisy is. Hypocrisy is not believing what you preach. Hypocrisy is propaganda. As Christians, we want to be people who our beliefs are authentic, our beliefs are true, our beliefs center us, and our beliefs manifest themselves in our behaviors. We're not always going to be perfect. That's why we have Jesus. But we want our beliefs to agree with God. I read one guy, he said that, that a tree of faith produces the fruit of obedience. A tree of faith produces the fruit of obedience. In other words, when I put my faith in God, God is going to change how I view the world, change how I view myself, change how I view relationships. All of the things we're going to talk about are theological in nature. Secondly, all of them are in the context of relationships. They're not out there somewhere. They're not ideas. They're not, they're not uh, uh, ink and paper. They're not things that we frame and put on the wall and ignore. It's how you and I interact with one another. It's how you view me, how you treat me, how I view you, how I treat you. The gospel, listen, is not expressed in a vacuum. It's not. It's flesh and blood. And here's the thing about it. The church is all about a covenant people. Lots of times we use this language of, I have a personal, intimate love relationship with Jesus. And I'm glad that you do. I'm glad that you do. I want that for you. But we tend to miss that God saves me and puts me in a family. And that whenever God's talking to the church in the New Testament, He's talking to a group of people. And He's saying, this is how you all... He's, he's speaking to the we, not to the you. God speaks to us in the context of our relationships and coming to get our kids during teaching. Alright? Yeah. Now that parent's like, why did you say that? <laughs> Sorry. Um, number three and this is probably the most important one, is that there are two parts to all of these commands. One is a, is a, is a prohibitive, right? It's a, it's a negative. It's a don't do this. But the other is a positive directive. It's, it's a you should do this. And here's the reason I think this is important. I think that if you're new to church or you haven't been around church for a while, or honestly, if, even if you grew up in church, we have the propensity to think about what God calls us to do and be as a list of things that we're not allowed to do. Rules, right? Don't do this, don't do this, don't do this. And we tend to think that most of them are all of the fun things, right? And God's like, nope, not anymore. Got to be boring and lame. Oh, man. So this list, it's not only a, a protective don't do, but it's also an enabling you should do. The gospel emphasizes, listen, 
being empowered to do the best and healthiest things, not just commanded to not do certain things. Not just commanded to not do certain things. Last week we talked about that living out the gospel is, is two things. It's a put off. Remember we talked about Noah, take off his old Velcros, right? And it's a put on. We tend to think that the gospel is just a take off the old Velcros. And that's what a Christian is. They're the ones who don't do all the bad things. That's not what a Christian is. A Christian is somebody that God is empowering to put on a new self that He's created, a transformed life, a transformed mind, transformed relationship. God miraculously renews and resurrects things that are dead and broken and broke down and He makes them new and whole and perfect. He gives it back to us and we put it on and we walk around in it and when people say, look at that new pair of shoes, we say, you ought to meet the guy who gave them to me. That's what Christianity is. And so as we read down through these six things, I want you to be careful to not focus on the don't do. And I want you to be deliberate to focus on the but I want you to do or I'm empowering you to do. Does that make sense? Are you with me? All right, six things. Put in the context of the kind of church that God is making us. The kind of church that God wants to produce in our midst. Six things, six views. Number one is how our community, Damascus Road, views honesty. How our community views honesty. Here's the verse. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Let each of you speak the truth with his neighbor. How how do we view truth-telling at Damascus Road Church? That's what he's talking about. How do we view how we, how we communicate with one another and, and having integrity about saying things that are true and right and accurate? There's an element to that that's stop lying. But Paul's trying to emphasize the appreciate and speak and live in truth and communicate it to one another. And, and here's the reason. The commands that God gives us around community, uh, you can really put them into to three words. It's love your, love your neighbor. And church is the perfect place for us to practice loving our neighbor. We tend to have this idea that my neighbor is, is, is people outside of this room, but I come in here and it's like this benign, neutral place. It's not. We have relationships that make this place. You don't come to church. You are the church. And you come to an address. And the relationships that make up this church have certain values and certain perspectives and certain theology that make it what it is. And here's what Paul is saying. He's saying, love your neighbor and speak truthfully to them. Love your neighbor and speak truthfully to them. And, and when you unpack this a little bit, I want you to think about this. The primary fabric of fellowship is trust. You don't, you don't have good, healthy relationships with people that you don't trust. That's what a friendship is fundamentally it's not even shared shared pursuits or shared hobbies it's it's i trust you i do life with you i care about you and you care about me if i think you're a liar or i think you're going to stab me in the back or i think that we're going completely opposite directions we're not going to be in good fellowship and so here's what paul is saying he says if you want to have true community you have to have trust and what's the basis of trust? Truth. Honesty. That's what the basis of trust is. It's the basis of 
marriage. It's the basis of friendship. It's the basis of work relationships. And so Paul is painting this picture for us of a church that values honesty to such an extent that I'm going to be honest with you because I want to be in relationship with you. I'm going to speak the truth to you, not only about who God is, but about what God is doing, because I want there to be trust in the gospel and trust in the church so that we can have the kind of relationships that God wants us to have. Lies, listen, undermine a church. They undermine a church. Truth builds it up. Truth builds it up. And so what does Paul say? He's saying, as a church that's putting on a renewed mind, let's agree. Let's not lie. That's the negative. But let's love truth. And let's love truth at a relational level. Listen to me, please. Truth is not just what gets preached on Sunday. Truth should be preached on Sunday. But truth is what happens Monday to Saturday in the relationships that you have in this church. And if you're lying to one another, and there's all different kinds of ways that we can and do lie to one another, it, it creates cracks in the foundation. And it keeps us from being the kind of community, the kind of church that, listen, we all intuitively know we want to be. And so the gospel accomplishes that for us. Number two is how our community views anger. How our community views anger. Listen to Ephesians chapter 4, verses 26 and 27. Are you with me? Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. You see how this is not some ethereal out there somewhere theology. This is, this is nuts and bolts. This is, this is practical. This is applicable. If you took just this verse and applied it to your marriage, I guarantee you it would improve it. So we bring it into this context, the church, and how do we view anger? How do we, how do we, uh, interact when, when we get angry? Because the reality of it is you put a couple hundred people in a room and someone's gonna get angry. It's just how it works in the church. If you've been at a church for 36 minutes, you know that, right? Someone's gonna get angry. And so how do we, how do we interact with one another in a renewed mind in light of the gospel? Psalms 4 and verse 4 says this, same thing as in Ephesians. Be angry and do not sin. Be angry and do not sin. So here's what Scripture teaches us. That God permits anger, but He puts a boundary on it. God permits anger, but He puts a boundary on it. And so, when we think about anger, we need to think about it in two categories. And you can think about this in the church, you can think about it in your marriage, you can think about it in relationships. Two categories of anger. Righteous and unrighteous. That's the only two kinds of anger that God lays out for us. There's righteous anger, and there's unrighteous anger. And the Bible says that we should be angry and not sin because God calls us to love righteousness in ourselves and in one another. And I want you to think about the last time that you got angry and then you felt convicted about it. Why did you get angry? You got angry ultimately because somebody did something to you that you thought you didn't deserve, did something to you, took something from you that you didn't think they should take from you, or gave something to you that you didn't think they should give to you. Your ultimate, the genesis of your anger was a love of who? Of me. Yeah. And so what does God say? He says that righteous anger is a love of the righteousness of God and a love of your neighbor. That's how righteous anger occurs. Now I want you, I want to, I want to preface this a little bit. 
Because I do think that we have a lot of misunderstanding about anger. And I think that what we tend to think is that being passive, if it keeps us from being angry, if we're passive, then that's that's good. That's not good. Listen, there are things that you should be angry about. There are things that you should be angry about. God says, listen, be angry and don't sin. Should you, should you be passive when somebody is insistent on destroying relationships that they're a part of? I'm not going to be angry. I'm just going to let them do their thing. No, you should be angry. You should be angry. Should you be angry when, when you look out into our community and you see inequality, when you see injustice, you see abuse, when you see... There are things that the church should be angry about. Not, oh, we're just... We don't, we are concerned. No, I'm not concerned. I'm, you know what I am. I'm not allowed to say it in this room. Alright? I'm, I'm angry! And I think that there are things that God says, yes, you should be angry! That, that is unrighteous. And I should, listen, I should love you enough to be angry when you're ripping your life and your relationships apart. I don't come to you and, hey brother. No! I come to you and I shake you! I love you. Don't do this. I won't let you. You're going to do it through me or over me. But you're going to have to get past me to ruin your life because I love you. I'm going to speak the truth in your life and i got to give you a five-finger sandwich. I'm going to do it because I love you. How about that? Yeah. How about that? What if, the, what if, the, what if we were the kind of church that, listen, we understood that there are things that we should be angry about and if our anger was righteous... I think that it would, it would motivate and it would, it would bring us to places of action that kind of this passive, neutral Christianity just allows us to sit on our hands in this room. There are things that ought not be. I'm getting angry even thinking about it. Ought not be. Ought not be in this room. Ought not be across the street. Ought not be downtown. They ought not be. And if we know the blueprint that God gives us, to make it redeemed and resurrected and renewed, let's do something about it. Amen? Yes, thank you. How our community views anger. So let's be careful that we don't think that the opposite of unbiblical anger is bleh. It's not. Two kinds, righteous and unrighteous anger. But there are times where we ought to be angry. Think of it this way. The best peacemakers, think about it, are sometimes those who are willing to break peace for the long-term health. Right? Yeah. It's someone who's willing to fight you for righteousness' sake. It's someone who's willing to say that, no, we can't do this. We can't go here. So what three ways that I want you to know that your anger is righteous. Three ways that you can, can know that you're righteous that your anger is righteous, alright? Easy for me to say. Number one, if I'm angry, but it did not cause me to sin. So if I'm angry, but I don't gossip, I don't slander, I don't get bitter, I don't use corrupt and, and mean-spirited words, there are, there, are, there are times where I can get angry and it doesn't cause me to do something unrighteous. As there are times that I can get angry and it causes me to do something righteous. So what's the fruit of my anger, is the way that we could say that. Number two, if I'm angry, but I did not let it continue or fester. 
That's why God says, don't let the sun go down on your anger. Now, I know some guys who that means we're going to stay up till four o'clock and be dead tired. That's, that's not the, that's not the real point of it. The point is, be quick to repent. The point is to, to believe that you have power over your anger, not your anger power over you. You know, we have, we have a perspective sometimes that, that our anger happens to us. And so then I just have to let it run its course and you have to let it run its course too until I'm done and then I'll let you know. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible says, when the end of the day comes, make peace. When the end of the day comes, make peace. And, and, and I've seen this repeatedly. People who, they get into an argument and it takes weeks for them to say, I'm sorry. Listen, as Christians, it ought not be. As Christians who are forgiven, as Christians who are victorious, as Christians who have supernatural joy and peace and long-suffering, you ought to be able to come to the end of a day and make peace with whoever you're ticked off at. You ought to be able to do that. And that's your kids, your wife, your friends, your boss. You can make peace and not be angry. It doesn't mean everything's fixed, right? It doesn't mean everything's fixed. It just means that I'm not going to be dictated to by my unrighteous anger and I'm not going to sow seeds into this relationship of anger past one more day. I'm not going to do it. I won't do that because that would be unrighteous anger. And then thirdly, if I'm angry, if my anger did not create any vulnerability in myself or in my fellowship. Have you ever um, been so angry that you went out and did something doubly stupid? <laughs> I have. <laughs> I have. What is that? It's, it's the kind of anger that, uh, that leaves you vulnerable to the work of the enemy. It's, it's like your, uh, your, your left tackle going, yeah, whatever. And Julius Peppers is running toward Jay Cutler. Oh. <laughs> yeah. I'm trying. I'm trying, y'all. Alright? I'm an Ohio boy. I'm trying really hard. Work with me here. Alright? Yeah. Yeah, we do that with our anger. Our, our, our righteous anger is a defense. Right? And unrighteous anger is like all of your offensive linemen going, go ahead. And what happens? Things occur in our life that smash us and others. Have you ever said something to someone in anger that you wish you hadn't said? What is that? It's unrighteous anger. It's unrighteous anger. If you are evaluating your anger in any context and, and it, 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 you can't stop it, it's dictating to you. It creates vulnerability. It breaks down relationships. God says that's unrighteous anger. If your anger causes you to stand for truth, if your anger causes you to do something about injustice, inequality, sin, it's righteous anger. But how many of you would say, 99 out of 100 times my anger ain't so righteous? Yeah. Yeah. And so what does God say? He says if we're going to be a gospel community with a renewed mind, with a renewed mind. We need to agree and believe what God says. And that means sometimes we ought to be angry. But other times, listen, we just need to say we're sorry. We just need to say we're sorry. We tend to think that a, that a community that's always saying I'm, I'm sorry is an unhealthy community. It's the healthiest possible community it could be. It's not a sign of weakness. It's not a sign of dysfunction. It's a sign of health. To be able to say, I was wrong. I'm sorry. Please forgive me. We ought to be doing that regularly at Damascus Road Church. We ought to be doing that regularly. 
Number three, how our community views work. So honesty, anger, and then work. Here's what God says. Let the thief no longer steal, but let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. How does our community think about work? How do we talk to one another about work? What is our expectation of work in this community? Here's what God says. The first thing is, don't be a thief. Don't be a thief. And, and so what God does is He lays out for us a, a paradigm with, with two ends. One is work and the other is stealing. And what does He say? He says in the Eighth Commandment, the Ten Commandments, don't steal. And that could be, I take something that isn't mine. I don't pay for something that I received or that I, that I, that I bought. I fail to pay someone who worked for me or I fail to work for someone who paid me. All of those things are stealing in Scripture. And God says, don't do that. Don't do that. Don't be a consumer. That's what he's talking about. Don't be a consumer. Don't just take and take and take and take and take. And he goes further though. He says, do not steal, but actually work for two reasons. To support yourself and to give to someone else. Please listen to me. Do you know that God enables you to work? Yes, so that you can pay your bills. Certainly. But He also does it so that you can be generous. Yeah. And you know what we tend to do? Is we tend to ratchet up our bills to the point that we can't be generous. And we're missing the point of work. Work enables me to give. And so... The, the, the character of a gospel-centered, renewed community is we value work. We appreciate work. We encourage work. We expect work. Why? Because we don't want to be thieves. Because we believe that God provides for us and because we want to be generous. Because we want to be generous. Listen to this. The gospel takes a burglar and turns him in or her into a benefactor. That's what it does. Take somebody who, who's a mooch and makes them, makes them a giver. Take someone who's lazy and makes them value worth. That's what the gospel does. And that's what we want the gospel to do. Now, why does it do this? I want you to think about who Jesus is. What does Jesus do? Jesus is in his heavenly estate. He sees our need and he comes. And what does he do with his, with his position and his wealth and his assets? What does he do? He puts them aside. He comes to the earth. He takes on the form of a servant. Right? He's a homeless dude. And then after he lives and sacrifices everything that he has, he gives his very life, he goes back to his heavenly estate, and what does he do with those riches? He gives them to us. He gives them to us. So what is our God? He is a hard-working, benevolent, gracious Generous God. That's who He is. And so if we're going to be people who mimic our Savior, we ought to be hardworking, generous, benevolent people. That's who we should be. Our community then, rather than, listen, sponge off of others, contribute to it. Contribute to it. Contribute to your home. Contribute to your relationships. Continue, contribute to your workplace, contribute to your work. Now listen, or your, your church. Now listen, I, I understand that we're at different places. But please hear me. Please hear me. 
A church works best when the majority are contributing so that those who are new or not in a place to contribute can be blessed. Amen? Yes! Can I tell you what happens? It used to be that 80% of the work got done by 20% of the people. Is that what this is talking about? No. It used to be that the 80% of the budget got contributed by 20% of the givers. Is that what this is talking about? No. Actually, the, the latest things that I've read is that it's more like 90-10. I understand that there are people in that 90 who they're not in a position to give. And we're grateful that they're here. Grateful. We don't want you to be anyplace else. We want you right here. But can I say this? Some of you who are in that 90, you should be in that 10. You should be in that 10. Why? Because that's what a church is. It's a church of generous contributors. They don't come to church and say, what's in it for me? They don't come to church and say, thank goodness for what I got. They come to church and they receive blessing by giving, by serving, by being a part. And I told you, we got a lot of folks here who do that. But can I also be honest with you? we got some growing to do in this regard. we got some growing to do. And I'll be honest with you, I've got some growing to do. Because there are times that I contribute, but I do it with a bad attitude. There are times when I do that. And I need to repent of that because that's unrighteous anger, isn't it? And because it's not honest. Because my Savior gave everything that He had and did so for the joy that was set before Him. Me. And you. So, this is the kind of church, listen, that when we're all contributing, no one has need. Do you want to be a part of that kind of church? And I do. I want to be a part of, of, of a church that everybody contributes, so no matter who comes in, we say, we got that for you. But in order for that to happen, we need to come to the belief, listen, that there is stealing and working. Stealing and working. And we need to say, because of who our God is, we want, to, we want to value work. We want to value taking care of our bills. We want to value being generous, being benevolent, being a servant, being a contributor. Fair enough? Number four. Number four. How our community views conversation. So honesty, anger, work, and conversation. Here's the verse. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you are sealed for the day of redemption. This is how we talk to one another. How we talk to one another. You know that the Bible talks about how we talk to one another in this community? And it gives us two different paradigms. One is corrupt talk, and the other is building up talk. This corrupt talk, the word means it's a rotten tree or a rotten piece of fruit. That's, that's the, the connotation of the word. Either as it's said or as it's received. Now, if Chris and I are having a conversation, here's what God says. I'm responsible for how I talk to him. I can't completely control how he receives it, but what, what I am responsible for is making sure that I'm saying it to him in such a way that he can receive it in intent and in heart. Right? If he takes it the wrong way, then I can be quick to say, whoa, whoa, whoa I didn't mean it that way. But I should think through not only what I say, but listen, how I say it. Have you ever met someone who's like, hey man, I'm just telling you the truth. Yeah, but you're just being a complete punk about it. Just being 
nasty about it. You're handing me a rotten clump of garbage. Put a second thought into how you say it, right? And you've had people who say, I'm just telling you the truth, man. I can't control how you take it. Yeah, you can. You absolutely can. And so what is Paul saying? He's saying we want to be the kind of a community that, that we take responsibility for how we talk to one another. And he says, I, I not only want you to not use corrupt talk, but I want you to use talk that builds up. Here's, here's the words connected to it. Words that are, that are helpful. Words that cheer. Words that encourage. Words that comfort. Words that challenge. You want to be a part of a community that when you walk in and you're spoken to, you're encouraged, you're helped, you're, a smile comes across your face, you're, you're challenged in a good and healthy way. I do. I want this to be a kind of, kind of place that when you come in here on Sunday, you walk out, not because of the music or the preaching, because of your interaction with the people who make up this community, I want you to walk out, build up. I don't, I don't want you to come in here and hear gossip and slander and snark. That's not the gospel. It's not the gospel. And so what does Paul say? He says, build one another up with your words. Proverbs chapter 12 says this, that there, there are words that are like a thrusting sword. You ever been with someone that it feels like they're, they're just poking at you? And in the same verse, it says that there are also words that are like a good surgeon. They still cut, but they cut to, to make healthy. Proverbs chapter 18 says that there are there are words of life and there are words of death. When we're speaking in this community, are we speaking life over one another? Are we speaking life over one another? I want you to notice something. The only time that God attaches an emotion of Himself to any of these is around this. What does it say? Don't grieve the Holy Spirit. It doesn't say that about don't get angry. It doesn't say that about work hard. It says it about how we talk to one another. And what are churches known for? The cesspools of gossip and slander. Aren't they? Now, we don't say, we don't say, stop doing that. We don't do that. We say the gospel enables us to speak life into one another. And so we claim that. It's not just don't gossip, that's it. Try hard. Okay, I'm not gonna go. No, it's change our heart, change our perspective, change our mind and believe that with this tool that God has given me, I can either build you up or I can tear you down. And in the gospel, I'm going to build you up. Because why? Because that's what God does for me. What does God do with His words? He builds us up. He makes us new. So how does our community view conversation? Next, how does our community view forgiveness? How does our community view forgiveness? Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you. It's almost like Paul knows that we're a moving target on this, right? And this, and this, and this, and this, and this, and this, and this. We get it! I don't think you do. And this, and this. Along with all malice. That's the prohibitive. Be kind to one another. Be tenderhearted. Forgive one another. Why? As God in Christ forgave you. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love. There's another walk. Walk in love. Why? As Christ loved us and gave Himself up for us a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. The prohibitive, the 
put away the old Velcro shoes, as it were, he lays out several different descriptives. Number one is put away bitterness. What is bitterness? It's, it's resentfulness that refuses to reconcile. I'll, I'll get to you when I feel like it. That's what bitterness is. And the Bible talks about bitterness as a seed that grows into a tree. You've met people who, they're, they're just, they're callous, they're hard, they're emotionless. I found that lots of times that's somebody who way back when was wounded and they harbored that resentment and it grew into a, a tree of bitterness in their heart. And what is it, what, what happens if you get, if you get a, a vine or a plant or a tree growing up in a tight space? What happens to that tight space? It gets clogged up, doesn't it? It gets clogged up and nothing can get through it. Nothing good, nothing bad. Bitterness does that. It just creates an iciness. A callousness. And what is, what is, what is Paul saying to us? He's saying, take that off. Number two is wrath. This is this passionate raging. Right? We, this is the hothead. This is the, the yeller and the screamer, the guy that throws stuff, the, the gal that, you know, cleans off the table violently, right? He says, don't do that. That's not what, it's not what God. Anger. This is settled or calm hostility. He says, hey man, how you doing? Fine. You alright? Yeah. Everything good? Yep. That's what this is. Wrath is... Ah! Anger is just this very calm, you stay over there and I'll stay over here and we'll be good. You got anyone like that in your life? That you don't... We think we're righteous because we don't blow up on them. But we're just right on the verge, right? Just give me one good, one more good reason. <laughs> Clamor. This is excited and loud and quarrelsome. This is just someone that's, they're, they're just volatile. They're just easily offended. And they, they're, they're, I'm just going to give you a piece of my mind. The Bible talks about that as clamor. And, and the, the example that it gives is somebody standing in a room and banging pots together. Bang, bang. Put that off. Slander. This is to defame, to destroy someone's reputation, to gossip. Put it off. Malice, ill will, or developing a strategy to expose somebody, developing a strategy to, to destroy somebody. or de I just need people to know who they really are. It's my job. Paul says, put, put that away. Put that away. That's the put-offs. Here's the put-ons. Be kind. Be kind. Ever been someone around someone that's just, they're just kind? Man, you just want to hug them. Man, thanks. What if, what if the people of God, what if the people of the Damascus Road Church, when people thought of DR, they thought, it's just a kind church. That'd be the kind of church I would want to be a part of. Tender-hearted. This is just a compassionate church. Compassionate church. Forgiving one another. This is to act in grace. You know that forgiveness isn't to fix it, right? Forgiveness isn't, if you do this and this and this, I will give you forgiveness. Forgiveness is to give grace. You might not deserve to be forgiven, but because God has forgiven me, I'm going to show you grace. What if we were the kind of people that when we failed one another, because listen, we will, our reaction is the gospel, to give grace. I forgive you. 
I'm not going to resent. I'm not going to hold that against you. I'm not going to rage. I'm not going to keep my distance. I'm not going to bang pots and pick fights and talk junk about you behind your back. I'm not going to do that. Why? Because of who my Savior is. But instead, I'm going to be kind. I'm going to be compassionate. I'm going to show you grace. And why does, why does Paul tell us to do this? Because it imitates our Savior. This is who God is. God is kind and compassionate and gracious. In Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 19, Paul says that the Gentiles give themselves over to their desires and that Christians give themselves over to love. It's our, it's our knee jerk. Our knee jerk should be kindness and compassion and forgiveness. And that's the kind of community that we would all want to be a part of. Who wants to be a part of an angry community? Of a gossiping community? Of a slanderous community? Of a quarrelsome and contentious community? No one wants to be around that. We ain't got time for that! <laughs> and the Gospel, seen if you're awake and been watching YouTube at work. Just kidding. All right. <laughs> lastly, lastly, is how our community views contentment. How our community views contentment. And I want to read this verse to you. And at first you're going to think to yourself, what does that have to do with contentment? But listen, but sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as it is proper among saints. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure, or who is, what? Who's covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. What does he say about improper sexuality? And he describes this as, as fornication, as impurity. What does he say that it is? It's covetous. And what is covetous? It's to desire something that someone else has or that isn't mine. You know, whenever God talks about marriage, what does He say about those two people? That they are to give themselves to one another. And that they become one flesh. And so they experience sexuality in the context of contentment. It's what marriage is supposed to do. That's also why God says, I don't want you to have sex outside of marriage because you're using something, listen, that isn't yours. And when we use something that isn't yours, we tend to objectify it. Please hear what I'm saying. When I use something that costs me nothing, I tend to not care about it. Ladies, that's why we ask you to pursue purity. Because we don't want men to use you when they don't care for you. We don't want guys, you looking at porn because we don't want you to objectify something and look at something and use something that isn't yours. She's not yours. You don't get to have her. He's not yours. You don't get to have her. Unless, what do we do? We enter into covenant before God and one another at a wedding, and then what do we say? I give myself to you. And then what does God say? Continue to give yourself to one another in every way. That's what sex is. It's giving myself to one another. Even, you watch TV. That's, it, that's the language that we see on TV. I want to give myself to you. 
It's theologically accurate. And it's also the reason that we say, don't do it unless both people are giving. So Paul says, let's be the kind of community, don't let sexual sin be once named among you. In other words, don't be users. Don't be objectifiers. Don't be degraders. But be the kind of people who, what? Who give. And give to one another and experience everything that God has for them in the context of covenant and contentment. Why is adultery wrong? Please listen. Why is adultery wrong? Because it's covetous. That's why. Because it's what you gave me, God, isn't good enough for me. And so the guy at the office I'm going to use. That's why it's wrong. What is, what is the healthiest marriage? A marriage that is content in what God has provided me. Happily, gratefully content. What does it say? Rather than, rather than, um, sexual, sexual immorality and impurity, but instead let there be thanksgiving. What's a good marriage? A content and grateful marriage. God gave me everything that I could ever want and Ashley done. And when I stop believing that, I'm going to get sideways very quickly. Same thing, guys, if you're single, gals, if you're single, is God sufficient in your singleness? Doesn't mean you're never going to get married. Can you be content and grateful as a single person? Or do you say, no, I want this now. It's what we do. It's what we do. And we, we, we talk about this in a way that it's happening to us. What does Paul say? Don't let it, don't let it even be once named among you. And what does he, he goes on, he says, and don't joke about it. That's how serious this is. How serious porn is. Don't joke about porn. Don't joke about adultery. Don't joke about fornication. Don't, it's not funny. It destroys lives when we use and cast people off. Doesn't it? And some of you, that's happened to you. And let me also be straight. Some of you, you've done that. And it, it has rightly scarred your soul. And we need to repent of those things. Don't, don't joke about it. Let no vulgarity. Rather than a, indulging and objectifying and degrading sex, which costs me nothing, listen, let's elevate the, the provision of God and in gratitude enjoy what He's given us at the time that He's given us in contentment. Contentment. What if our marriages at DR were content? I'll tell you, a content and grateful marriage is an affair-proof marriage. It is. If I believe that my wife is everything I've ever wanted, how are you going to tempt me? But we're greedy, aren't we? We get greedy. And when we get greedy, we break things. So what, is, what does Paul say? Be content. Be content. I want you to think about this. This is, this is the kind of community that God says He's making us. God says He's making us. An honest community, a sober-minded community, a hard-working and generous community, a kind community, a forgiving community, and a content community. Would anyone want to be a part of that kind of church? Yeah, me too. So here's, 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 the, here's the grace of God on our lives. That's the kind of church that we are. God just says, put it on. Put it on. Take off those old shoes. Take off those things that 
divide and break and harm and put on who I say that you are. And we believe that this is the kind of church that we are. The kind of church that we are will start to be that. And that's what I want. Because that's what I think God has for us. And that's why I'm excited about the future of DR. Because I see God doing some of these things. And I see us starting to believe the gospel. And I see us starting to embrace who God says that we are. And I'm excited for our marriages and for our relationship and for our character and for uh, who this church is becoming. Some of us, we, we need to take off our old shoes. And some of us, we need to believe that this is the kind of church that God says that we are. And all of us, we need to put on those new shoes and we need to, what does he say? Walk in them. Walk in them. Stand with me. handful of ways that you can respond today. We take communion every week and we do that to remind ourselves of who our Savior is so that we can remind ourselves of who He says that He's making us. We sing together to praise God. We give because we serve a God who is generous and we pray because we serve a God who is available. And so, while we sing, please praise God. Come up and take communion. If you'd like to receive prayer, have someone pray with you. Uh, some of the elders will be here in the front row. Uh, and if you came prepared to give, there's boxes in the backs. All right? Are we good? All right. I was. You had to end on the sex thing. Now I'm bummed out. All right. Let's pray. For Heavenly Father, we thank You for who You're making not only me, but who You're making us. It's the kind of church that we want to be a part of. Hello. God agrees. <laughs> it's the kind of church that we want to be a part of. It's the kind of church that you say that we are in Jesus. And so help us, God, to be quick to repent, to take off those old shoes. Help us, God, to believe you in faith. And help us, God, to put on this type of community. This community that's honest. This community that's gracious, that's kind, that's loving, that's forgiving, that's hardworking and generous, that's content and grateful. Accomplish that, accomplish that in our midst, God. And we'll thank you for it because you're good and gracious and powerful. We pray all these things to your glory and for our joy in the name of Jesus.